Welcome back to another edition of the McKnight's Market Leaders Podcast. I'm Jim Berklin, Executive Editor at McKnight's, and I'm glad you're here today because we really have a special treat. This is going to be an edition that I think is going to have a lot of talking points, a lot of notes that you're going to want to make because it's such an important issue moving forward. We're here with Kim Warshaw, President and Founder of Dementia Care Specialists at Crisis Prevention Institute. And we're going to talk about the many ways a dementia-capable workforce can transform outcomes and create other positive changes. And given the prevalence of Alzheimer's and dementia out there today, Kim, this really is something that we're going to have to focus on a lot more in the future, don't you think? Hi, Jim. Yes, absolutely we are. And I'm not going to really belabor a lot of statistics, but I do want to start with one. And that is one in three seniors is currently dying with dementia. So it's really, you know, to me, it's not a what if, it's more of a who do I know that may be living with dementia and how can I make the world a better place for them? Well, that's very important to bring up because as we know, you know, the healthcare system, it appears it could be failing those who are living with dementia and the costs of this failure, they're just very significant. And there's a lack of specialized knowledge and skills among caregivers and professional level staff, in spite of the fact that the aging population has such a significant number who are living with Alzheimer's and other dementias. So creating dementia-capable workforce has been a goal for many years because it has the potential to make an extraordinarily positive impact. So, we are going to explore essential knowledge and skills of a dementia-capable workforce and the many ways that this workforce can have positive impact, including reducing distress behaviors without drugs, optimizing function, quality of life and health, and supporting loved ones. So, Kim, you believe it's important to create a dementia-capable society powered by a dementia-capable workforce. Can you tell us about a dementia-capable society? What is your vision? Yeah, so I I love that we're starting with that, Jim, because that is the vision. That's the ultimate vision. And what that really means is that all people within the society and all environments are really understanding and supportive of those who are living with cognitive and possibly behavioral challenges as a result of dementia. And that society and those businesses are going to be able to be able to be dementia capable and that would be demonstrated in the way that they interact with a person with dementia and the way they interact with their loved ones all the time. And this would be demonstrated, Jim, everywhere. This would be in our neighborhoods, in our doctors and dentist offices, at the grocery store, in an airline. All of these workers, all of these community members and loved ones understand that we really need to be uh, patient, empathetic, and kind to those who are living with dementia. We need to understand that elders who are living with dementia are seen as vulnerable, but just as worthy within those vulnerable vulnerabilities as everyone. They need to be held in care gently and lifted up to be the best that they can be. And really, Jim, this is similar to the way society has been supportive of children at different developmental ages. Children are cognitively impaired at the age of two and five and 10. They may be at risk for temper tantrums if we're not supportive and kind, but yet we hold children in this very um, empathetic and understanding space. And that's what we need to do, whether we work in healthcare, 
or we're the grocery store teller or we're the person helping them at the bank, we need to change the way we think about people with dementia. We need to know they still have abilities. How can I help them to use those abilities? The society needs to know suffering from dementia is not inevitable. And we need to help loved ones know there is no shame in a diagnosis of dementia. Okay, very good. Now, one thing I was very interested in, this interesting phrasing, what is a dementia-capable workforce and why does it matter so much? I like that phrasing, dementia-capable workforce. Yeah. So again, wherever this workforce works, now we're going to focus more on healthcare, I think, in our chat today, but I want to really enforce this. So whether this is the service industry, as we already mentioned, or this is the first responder or the healthcare team. We have to make sure that the workforce understands that our interactions with a person living with dementia makes all the difference. The way we interact and what we believe is going to really impact how a person with dementia responds and the outcomes that we're going to get. And we have to pledge as a workforce to make the world a better place for those living with dementia and have specialized knowledge and skills. And really that's about the way we communicate and um, our ability to tap into the abilities of the person with dementia, can we do that? And why does this matter? Why does this workforce have to have specialized knowledge and skills? Because you can't have a dementia-capable society without that workforce. They're the power behind it. What are some of the core components, I guess I'd call them? You know, what's the knowledge and some of the skills that are needed within this dementia-capable workforce? Yeah, so we all we frame it this way, and this is sort of our guiding model. We call it the dementia-capable care model. So all people need to first of all say, who is this person with dementia? Who are they? And that's called person-centered care. Who is this person? What's their history? What are their preferences, their interests, their goals? You know, what's the what's their pilot light that lights their flame? I need to know that. And then who is this person in terms of what do they need to do each and every day in their life? What are their goals? And then this is where the skills now come in. So now I have to have the skill set to help that person do what they want and need to do every day. So I have to understand stages of dementia. What are the characteristic abilities and limitations of that stage? And how do I adapt as the care provider? How do I adapt my communication the way I speak with them, how slow or how fast I need to speak, when I need to add in visual cues versus just using words. I need to adapt the activity they want to do to that just right level of challenge, not making that activity too difficult for them or too easy. And again, the stages of dementia guide us in that. I also need to adapt the environment around them, Jim. People forget about that. The environment, you know, the room that that person is engaging in, it can be supporting or hindering. So I need to understand how do I modify that space so that it's really helping this person with cognitive challenges to focus their attention and engage in the life activity. So that model guides me. And then the final point on that, Jim, is we need to understand one of the key skills is training people to understand that the stress behaviors like agitation, hitting, resisting, they don't just come out of thin air. It's a communication, a distress behavior for people with dementia is a communication that something is wrong. So the workforce needs to have the skills to know 
how do I prevent the distress behavior triggers? How do I calm distress behavior so that it doesn't escalate to a crisis and we have to use physical or chemical restraint? Okay, outstanding. Now, take us to the other end of this. What kind of outcomes can be positively impacted by this specialized workforce we're talking about? Well, when we have everybody trained in um, some of the skills I just talked about, one of the things that can come from that is early detection. So when we know, you know, what is normal aging, kind of, you know, a symptom of normal aging, like a little forgetfulness versus, wow, this looks like cognitive changes that are impacting the way the person functions, that could be dementia. One of the great outcomes that comes from that is we get that person in for an assessment sooner and we get the right diagnosis that then leads to the treatments that can help slow the progression. So that's one of the wonderful outcomes of having a dementia-capable workforce who knows what to watch for. But also when we're helping that person to engage in meaningful activities at the highest level of function possible, that has a wonderful byproduct of better health. When we do things for ourselves at our best ability, it keeps our brain and body healthy. It also decreases the burden on the people providing the care, freeing up time for that family because, boy, their energy and their time can be very consumed in care. It also allows that person to have less depression and anxiety and to feel like they're still a valuable member of society, which emotionally keeps them healthy. And we didn't talk much about this um, yet, but there's a high cost of dementia to society. People with dementia, for example, are in and out of emergency rooms and hospitals far more often than elders without dementia. So another wonderful outcome is for society as a whole, we can help to decrease those costs of care. Okay. Now, we know distress behaviors pose many, many risks for the individuals themselves and for their care providers. It's a very key point of our discussion here in our audience. Can you expand a little bit on how a dementia-capable workforce could make a difference here? Yeah. So, a lot of staff uh, who are working with individuals with dementia are not well-trained, and there's a very, very high risk of injury on the job. So we want to really make sure that that workforce is very well educated to understand distress behavior, as I mentioned a moment ago, as often just simply being someone's response to a situation. And if we look at it that way, then we know that drugs are not necessarily needed to control the behavior, and we can also help the care provider and the person in care be safer. So for example, Jim, if we think about that, if we think about distress behavior is often a communication that something is wrong, not just an inevitable symptom of dementia. That's the starting point of the learning journey. Then if we can prepare staff by saying, learn to look for those earliest signs of distress behavior, like maybe the person is becoming anxious and pacing, that's telling you that they're at that very beginning stage and that's where you wanna intervene. You don't wanna wait for it to escalate to a higher level and then that's when that person themselves is at risk and the care staff is at risk. So within within that, Jim, we're helping the care staff know your behavior is going to influence the behavior of the person in care. 
So what you do in the moment, if you stay calm, is going to help that person stay calm. Another skill we teach is to understand that um, if we're not meeting uh, unmet needs, like the need to use the bathroom or that person's need to get up and walk because they're becoming physically uncomfortable, if we're not meeting those types of needs, that could lead to feelings of distress and distress behaviors. If the world around them or the care person themselves is frightening, that person can be escalating and we need to calm them and we need to make sure that you know we've changed our approach or we've changed the environment so they feel safe. So preparing the staff to understand distress behavior doesn't just happen, there's often a trigger. The way we interact, the way we set up the environment makes all the difference in the world as to whether that's going to escalate to a crisis, putting everybody at risk, or we're going to successfully calm this situation and go on with our day. Great. Now, all of us associated with long-term care knows there's a third leg to that very important stool. Uh, you know, we know, obviously, uh, the patients and individuals are are very big focal point, and of course, the caregiver. But families also come into play. And we know yes. families of those living with dementia are very impacted by the disease along the journey. What can you tell us about how this approach can better support families or the role of the family? Well, let's start with the role of the family. So I hope I've sort of left you with the concept of person-centered care is key here for everything. So we want to get to know the person in care, and often that comes from discussing it with families. So we want to know as much about the person in care as possible. So the family would want to tell us, for example, are there any is there any history of trauma or phobias? Because that could be a distress trigger. I need to know that before I interact with the person in care. So the family is that informant. I want the family to tell me about what's always made this person happy. What are their goals? What are their interests, their routines? Because that's where care is going to be developed from all that person-centeredness. So that's a key role of the loved one. Tell us as much as possible um, about this person and care so I can pull it into my, into my work. But in terms of supporting families, Jim, dementia grief is a real thing. You know, this, um, there's a lot of loss that happens with dementia, and it doesn't hit anyone harder than the family members or the loved ones, because they, they want to hark back to what used to be, and they may even be in a little bit of denial, because denial is a great coping mechanism, but if, if, we, if families stay in denial and they keep wanting to go back to what used to be, that can actually interfere with their own emotional health and the person in care getting what they need. So if we can listen to the family and offer empathy and guide them through the stages of this journey, walking hand in hand and saying at this stage of dementia, here's what you can expect the abilities to be. At this stage of dementia, these are the losses. But how can we meet this? How can we meet your loved one where they're at today and make this moment, this moment, be the best that it can be for the person living with dementia and for you? So knowledge is power. We want to ask, we want to educate the family about the stages and what they can expect and how they can help. 
Dementia grief is real. We want to uh, encircle them with love and compassion and listen. And then we want to make sure this family can tap into a variety of support services and systems. So beyond me as an individual um, provider of care, how can I help them find the right um, resources that they need so they can put their own oxygen mask on first as a family member, get the respite and the time they need for their own emotional and physical health, but they can also get their loved one with dementia hooked up with the right doctors and maybe adult daycare or find the right companion care service or senior living facilities. And we want to guide them on that journey. All these ways can help families um, to navigate this journey, Jim, because it's long. It's often several years. We want to envelop them with education, empathy, and guidance, and listen. Wow. It's such a difficult topic to discuss and ponder sometime, but you really lay it out and make sense of it. It's it's rewarding to hear that. But I need to ask, in your opinion, how close are we to achieving some of these goals you're talking about? And what's your hope for the future? Well, the fact of the matter is, Jim, that a lot of people who are working in healthcare still are not dementia specialized. Uh, so I would love to see any of the um, preparatory institutions, whether we're preparing nursing assistants or occupational therapists like me or nurses, that all of these curriculums include dementia-capable care training or uh, dementia-specialized training. To me, that's a given. We just talked about statistics, right? One in three seniors are dying with dementia. So if you're going to work with an elder population, you have to be prepared. How close are we? That's still, unfortunately, pretty far away, but that's a change I would love to see. But I think the other thing, Jim, is I would love to see that every single one of us, no matter who you are, that these that we know that suffering from dementia is not inevitable, and we all play a role in helping individuals with dementia to thrive and supporting loved ones. You know, my, again, I think there's a, we're a long way from that because when you talk about Alzheimer's and dementia, it's the number one most feared disease of aging. Why? Because we think it is a sentence of suffering and there's nothing that can be done to still live well with dementia. So we have to shift those paradigms. And I'm real proud of um, a movement that's really uh, gaining a lot of traction in our country called Dementia-Friendly America. I think that's a piece, is how can we rally together as communities around common goals? How do we educate the workforce? How do we start having conversations about dementia? And how do we share the same paradigms and beliefs? I think that that's a key strategy. Wow, that really does sum it up. And it's almost unfair, but I told you, I was going to ask that here we've been talking for some 20 minutes, perhaps. Excellent insights and, and high points and what we need to look at going forward. Because as you said, that huge number of people dying with dementia. But what we haven't said so much is that it's growing, the, the incidence and everything. So this is certainly yeah. not going away. So my long-winded way of saying, asking, what is your quick pitch to anyone listening here, our many caregivers, from all the you know points we just talked about, uh, what's the one thing you really want them to take away from this discussion we've been having? I think we need to step back, Jim, and say, are we supporting um, people who are living with Alzheimer's and other dementias in the same ways, with the same compassion 
as we do children. You know, as we said in the beginning, children at different developmental ages are cognitively impaired and they're at risk for distress behaviors. But we lift children up. We realize they're vulnerable and dependent and on us to help them to feel valuable, worthy, and to thrive throughout their stages of development. That is my hope, that as our large baby boomer population is aging and we move into these elder years where we're going to see the number of people with dementia rise exponentially, that our society and our workforce takes this seriously. And we know that elders who are living with dementia nearing the end of life are just as valuable as children who are entering life. Very well put. And there you have it, folks. That's why so many people look to Kim Warshaw, president and founder of Dementia Care Specialists at Crisis Prevention Institute. We want to thank her and we want to thank you for tuning in. This is Jim Berklin wishing you good health and outstanding days ahead. 